Good morning. Well, I was going to tell you, if you have a Bible, you can open it, but we're going to be all over the place, so I don't even really know where to tell you to open it to. Uh, but happy Sunday. Thanks for being here. Hey, if you're new around Redemption, my name's Stephen. I'm the pastor. We're so glad that you're here. We're wrapping up a series today entitled Clear Truth for a Confused World, and many of you, you've joined us. Uh, at least become a part of this church during this series, and it's been a really fun series, and today we're going to kind of wrap it up, and I'll tell you a little bit at the end where we're going to go from here, Um, but it's been a fun series, and and what we've been doing is just laying out the clear truth of Scripture as it relates to certain areas, and so we started at the beginning uh, with man, and then we talked about women, and then we talked about marriage, and then we talked about family. As you can tell there, we're just kind of building as God built in the Scriptures, and so He created man, and then He created woman out of man, then he brought them together in the covenant of marriage, then he told them to be fruitful and multiply and start families, and today we're going to see where he tells them to go and to subdue the earth, Uh, and then of course the natural implication of that is the formation of society or the formation of culture. And what I've been doing in this series is laying out some confused distortions that the world has, and then pointing out the very clear truths of the scriptures. One of the resources we created in order to uh, just remind us of all of that is this. If you haven't gotten one of these, you can grab one on your way out. I would say it has kind of the big points of everything we've talked about during this series. And so uh, if you want one of those on your way out, grab one today. And uh, this morning, what I want to do is just kind of finish up our series talking about God's intentional plan for society. God's intentional plan for society and how the gospel uh, influences our perspective on how society is supposed to operate. And I think it's pretty clear, right, in Genesis chapter 1, God kind of lays it out. Uh, and so I'm just going to follow Genesis 1:28 this morning. Now, I want to start with um, bringing up at least one confused distortion that exists in our current world. And the starting point uh, for understanding society is very important. We have to kind of go back to the beginning. So Genesis chapter 1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we start all of our beliefs around here under the idea that God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, and therefore he created humanity. And the confused distortion of our current day is this, that man is accidental, uniformed, and random. Now, I'm not going to get into a creation uh, debate or discussion this morning. We just simply believe what the scriptures say, that God created humanity, and that the way God created humanity was not accidental, uniformed, or random. In other words, humanity did not evolve uh, and then randomly come to be uh, and have no intention or purpose. Instead, here's the clear truth. Man is intentional, unique, and ordered. God knew exactly what he was doing when he created humanity. He created humanity intentionally. He he formed it, right? He created uh, humanity unique. Each of us are wired or created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And he created humanity ordered. In other words, there is a best way for man to live. Jesus said it this way much later after creation when he said, the thief, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I, Christ says, have come that they may have life and may have it to the full or the good life, the abundant life. God has an order for humanity and the way or following that order is the best way to live. 
And so that's why we've walked through man, woman, marriage, and family so that we can be godly men, godly women, in godly marriages, raising godly families. And the natural extension of that is then if we can be godly men, women, families, and marriages, then why not godly societies? Then of course then that God has a structure and an order for how society ought to look. Now, when we speak of God's love for man, by the way, this is just a, one of my favorite little verses. Uh, it's in Proverbs 8.31, and uh, it says this. It says, rejoicing in his inhabited world, uh, despite sin, God rejoices in this world that he has created and made. It says, and he delights in the children of man. Proverbs 8.31, God delights in you, regardless of your past, regardless of uh, what sin might be present in you. He certainly wants and calls you to repentance of that, but made in his image is a certain level of delight that God has for all of his creation, for man, woman, marriage, family. And we want God to delight in society as it, as it falls in line with who he is and how he has created this. Now, I have couple of things in my hand here that I want to walk through to, as a way of setup this morning, because uh, it seems to be that there was a, a time in our culture where when we talked about society, and certainly it's hard to talk about society without talking about some of the structures and elements of our society uh, and the way our society is governed and operated, and there's certainly like a political realm to all of that, and it seemed to be uh, that uh, throughout history, at least let's say 70, 80 years or so, or maybe even post-Civil War in our country, uh, uh, that there were there was a, a general worldview or perspective that everybody kind of shared and held in common. And uh, that worldview or perspective, we would typically refer to that in like educational environments as Western culture. Certain ideals that have been upheld that helped produce the culture and the environment and the world that we live in. And within that worldview or that perspective, uh, it seemed like every once in a while we would begin to argue. And some people would argue that they like the blue pen better. And other people would argue that they liked the red pen better. And we would have all of these discussions and conversations and some people say, no, 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 no. your red pen policy is better. Uh, no, no, my blue pen policy is better. I can't believe you're a red penner and I can't believe you're a blue penner. But there, you guys, you're picking up what I'm dropping right here. Okay, okay, all right, just making sure, okay. Um, uh, but in the end, everybody went and said, yeah, but we're kind of all building off of the same worldview. And so then there would be these, these moments where the blue penners and the red penners, where they would come together uh, and they would create a solution to some of the problems uh, to help our society function and thrive. And then it seems like the world went crazy. And... Blue penners and red penners were still having conversations, but while they were having conversations, a whole new worldview emerged. And some of the old school blue penners and red penners are still arguing about the best way to bl do blue pen or red pen, but this whole other worldview emerged and looked back and said, we don't even care about your red pen or blue pen arguments. We wanna burn the whole cup to the ground. And this whole other worldview emerged. And my aim this morning is not to argue about blue pen, red pen. My aim this morning is to compare two very different worldviews. 
Two very different ways to build a society. And my aim is to show that one is of God and one is not. It's not of him. And it doesn't matter your blue pen and your red pen over here because the foundation is wrong. Did it without spelling. Great. So, this morning, my aim is to walk you through, I think, the most foundational passage of Scripture, and then I'll offer some supporting verses around it on simply how God created society to function. You say, well, why is this important? Well, it's important in the same way that it is important to talk about how did God create a godly man? How did God create a godly woman? How did he create a godly marriage? How did he create a godly family? If it's important in all of those, shouldn't we also know how God created a godly society? Wouldn't the same God who's interested in godly men, women, marriages, and family also be interested in a society that reflects him and his goodness? Beyond that, isn't it important that we understand that a God made a system for humanity to flourish? See, God didn't create the system so that humanity would be miserable or that humanity uh, would suffer. God created this system and he called it good. In Genesis 1, he, he creates it all. He says, now this is good, and not just objectively good, like good for you, good for uh, human flourishing. And as an individual who has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, where grace has broken into my heart, and I know personally the goodness of living God's way, wouldn't I want everyone to sit under the goodness of God? Of course. And so that's why. That's why it's important that we talk about what did God have in mind when he formed society, for it was truly best for human flourishing. Now, here's a little bit of cultural evidence. I've been doing this a little bit uh, and throughout our series. Uh, a little bit of cultural evidence for the, the, the two different worldviews that I brought up. So there's a, a progressive philosopher, her name is Shulamith Firestone. I believe she's since passed. And, and her ideas um, were very instrumental in the early feminist movement. Uh, and, uh, and then they began became basically like ingrained into modern progressive language and thought. And here's what she has to say. And I tell you that just to say, this is not just one person's opinion. This is a, a bedrock principle then that was built upon and became uh, a perspective of the other worldview. Feminists have to question, and I, I would say you could add into there, anyone who espouses that other worldview, have to question not just all of Western culture, but the organization of culture itself. Now, all of that alone should like throw off some, some, uh, you know, some signals like, in your brain. Like, okay, that's not good. We're going to go back and we're going to organize everything that built the, uh, the incredible society that we live in. And she says, no, no, let's go further. And further, even the very organization of nature. Now, that's pretty clear. What's she saying? We're not just asking questions about culture. We're asking questions about how the entire world was organized. When she says we have to ask questions about nature itself, what she is saying, uh, she could either be saying we have to throw out this idea that God created an order and a system, or we just have to acknowledge the fact that God was wrong. That's all she can be saying here. 
We have to go back. What you're saying? We have to disrupt not just blue pen, red pen. We have to disrupt and create an entire new way of looking at the world. And what has emerged, uh, and it's just gone more rampant in the last two to three years in our country, what has emerged is an entirely different perspective on how humans are supposed to live together. And I want to show us what God had in mind. Because what God had in mind is best for people. And as Christians, we love people. We love every person. And we want what is best for them. It is clear from Genesis 128. Well, let me read Genesis 128 first, then you can see if it's clear. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We see God then giving three instructions to humanity after the instruction of being fruitful and multiplied. But I've hit that a lot, so we'll skip past that one for a second. Three instructions, he says. Fill the earth, subdue the earth, and have dominion over the earth. And what's he doing there? He's laying out, he's laying out a structure for how society is supposed to be formed. Now, here's something that's interesting in Genesis 128. Uh, run this through your filter. Oftentimes, I think we have this idea that, uh, that, that humanity was like made for the garden. Made for the garden. And we longed for the garden again, the garden of Eden, and, and we were made for it, and it was so perfect, and it was so incredible. But what does Genesis 128 make very clear? Man was never supposed to stay in the garden. This is pre-fall. In other words, sin hasn't even entered into the world, and God tells them, go fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. In other words, this is not just about staying put in the garden. I've created you to go do something, to go make something happen. And so the first part of that is, is, is fill the earth. Now, the, uh, there are natural implications to this. If humanity was going to obey God, whether sin entered the world or not, because at Genesis 1.28, sin is not entered into the world yet. So this is a, a pre-fall or post-fall or in redeemed fall, which is what we live in now. We can be redeemed by the power uh, of the gospel. That these principles are the same in, in all courses of human history. And here it is. That man cannot fill the earth without leaving the garden. I'm just going to read this. Leaving the garden would inevitably lead to cultures and people groups. Why do I say that? Because as people would have begun to fill the earth, what would have happened? People would have naturally begun to congregate with their families, and those families would have naturally congregated with other families that were like them. We do this already. We have this subset group of weird, evil people in our church, and they naturally congregate together. We call them Michigan fans, right? And, <laughs> and somehow they just know each other, right? Like there's this wink of despair that they share, okay? Now, this would have happened, okay? And I know if they win next week, I'll admit it. Okay, whatever. Okay, all right. Okay. Leaving the garden would inevitably lead to cultures and people groups. And so these families, they would have all congregated together. And then when they began to congregate together, when you begin to hang out with the same family over and over, what do you do? You start to talk the same way. You pick up on lingo and language, 
right? You begin to enjoy the same things together. You begin to develop customs. You have shared history of memories. Okay, now just uh, expound upon this over centuries and centuries and, uh, and hundreds of thousands and millions and billions of people. And what would have been created then, right, are people groups would naturally lead to diversity where those with similarities would naturally congregate. These individuals would develop systems to maintain order and enhance the ability to subdue and enhance human flourishing. This would have happened. Government, then, in some form, would be the natural extension of such development. Government would then exist under God in this pre-fallen world, or I would say even in a redeemed world, to allow for the ongoing subduing of the earth. That as these people groups would have been created, there would have naturally been diversity. There would have naturally been the development of different language and different custom and culture. And God looked down, and when he created the earth, he foresaw and he wired it into our very DNA that there would be diversity. God created this, and he loves it, and he values it, and he thinks it's an incredible thing. That's what he created. Now, in this, we see the value of something, and the value is of localized, like self-governing communities that have shared history, shared values, and shared language. This introduces us to one confused distortion that exists in our world and is becoming increasingly rampant. Here it is. That the goal, right, the goal of society is to create a universally governed culture of homogenous people with a worldly sinful operating system. Here's the clear truth. God's plan was to create unique cultures that locally self-govern, join together because of commonality, and operate under God's headship. And when I say commonality, I'm not talking about like skin color, okay? I'm talking about culture and values uh, and shared history, all of those things that create good society. Now, within this, what would have happened? Right? Like in order to fill the earth properly. Okay, okay, I've already talked about uh, that means there were going to need to be a lot more people. Because when Adam and Eve were put on this earth and there's only two of them, that's a lot to fill and subdue and have dominion over. And so they were told to be fruitful and multiply. And that's why we talked about the family first because it was those families that were supposed to build society. But this is also why we have to remember that any push... Any push uh, by, by government, by celebrity, by culture, by the world itself to limit the amount of people is not from God. It's not. And I've already mentioned the, the leading policy uh, that gets pushed in this way, and that is abortion. I've talked about it a lot in this series. If you want the thoughts, um, you can go back, and we're very clear on whether or not we think it's right or wrong, but I've just talked about it a lot already, so I'll move on. Uh, but there's other things that are happening in our world, right? Incredibly increasing costs on things to take care of children. It's just a fear tactic, right? Or another attempt, an attack on the family, right? There's environmental policy now that uh, people are elevating creation over humanity. I'll hit that in a little bit. I brought up this last week in this service, and I'll bring it up again in case you weren't here. Like, uh, Harry and Megan have been going out and telling everybody your, uh, your global citizen right or responsibility is to only have two kids. Right? If you're a good citizen of creation uh, and of the earth, you'll only have two children. This is a direct opposition to God's word. And any policy that elevates creation over humanity is not from God. 
Now, filling the earth would have been the first thing. The second thing then, right, would have been the creation of these communities that share values and history and culture and norms and that existing in that type of community is what is best for people. But we live in a weird world. Now, I wrote this statement down. I don't even know if this statement makes sense, but I think it makes perfect sense. Does that make sense? Let me just read it. Okay, let me read it. We seem to live in a culture now that is forcing uniformity through man-made attempts to celebrate diversity while simultaneously destroying healthy community. Apparently it makes sense. Good. And we live in this world that is saying, no, 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 we have to force this in. Now, you know what's interesting? For the most part, okay, or there's many examples, maybe I should say it this way. When, when other uh, people groups immigrate, uh, immigrate to, American, uh, to America and American culture, you know what they most often do when they, when they immigrate in mass? They congregate together. Go visit Dearborn, right? They kind of, and why do they do that? Because they want to be able to understand each other. Because they have shared history, uh, even from previous countries. Because they have shared culture. Because they have shared norms. Because they know that they have shared values. And guess what? That's not a bad thing. God has created us to be around and to be in community with people. Uh, and, and, and if oneness was the goal, God would have done this much differently. Let me, let me say this just to mess with somebody. The type of oneness that the world is trying to force right now doesn't even exist in heaven. We will worship him with what? Every tribe and tongue. Stephen, you have any biblical evidence for this? I do. Thanks for asking. Genesis 11. Genesis 11. Let's look at how God responds to trying to force uniformity. Genesis 11, 4 through 9. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Modern translation. Let us build a world where we replace God as sovereign and where we're all the same. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. The modern way of thinking, and sometimes you even see this in the woke church, the modern way of thinking would have got to that verse and go, Yes! They're one people. We did it. They have one language. But God doesn't get done here and go, you guys, you figured it out in such a short amount of time. Well done. Now, what does he do? What does he do? He says, come let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. If oneness and uniformity was the goal, then we almost accomplished it back then. It's not the goal. Not the goal. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. God said, no, no, no. I told you to fill the earth. 
I told you to, to create culture and society and that there's a beauty in diversity and the languages that will all worship me uh, one day. God had this in mind uh, and, and creation or humanity said, no, 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 we don't want to do it that way. We're all going to be one, right? And we're going to be exactly the same. We're going to be uniform. We're going to, it's not God's plan. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, what did God do? The Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. In, in other words, if you're not going to do what I tell you, I'm going to make you do what I told you to do. Go fill the earth. Develop these different cultures and, and the beauty of language and shared history and all of these types of things go. That was God's plan. As a Christian, we always have to be weary. And we always uh, need to be opposed to these attempts by, uh, by humanity uh, to strip out local power, to strip out ability for common people groups to, uh, to develop culture and, and society in the way that God has told them to and to make it top-down control from the top. Because here's what we know, and history has proven this, that in order to create this kind of forced oneness, Okay, forced oneness, the only way to do that is through violence in the end. And this is why we have seen that the civilizations, uh, even in the, in the modern era, right, that have tried to force oneness, right, they become the most violent civilizations the world has ever known. Communist China, socialist Russia, what are they doing? Standing in complete opposite worldview and perspective uh, of the biblical worldview that we're going to lay out. And the only way they get their, uh, the results that they want is through murder and violence. And that's why we've seen hundreds of millions of people murdered under these names. It's the only way to do it. So God says, I have a better plan. And it's a plan for human flourishing, not for human murder. It's fill the earth, do that, exactly as what we've talked about. He said, okay, but as you're doing it, you're gonna fill the earth, but as you're filling the earth, you're also going to subdue the earth, okay? And so here's what God means by subdue the earth. In short, to subdue the earth means to create opportunity for progress and growth. It is a God-given mandate to make things happen. And there are some conclusions that are naturally drawn from this. Now, in to subdue the earth, here's the very first natural conclusion, and it is this, that uh, here's a confused distortion, that humanity and creation are equal. Modern confused distortion. No, creation and humanity, they're equal. They need to be subservient to each other, right? They serve one another in all of those ways. And let me tell you something. As Christians, we ought to steward God's creation. There's no doubt about that. But here is the clear truth. Humanity has been called to subdue creation, not vice versa. We live in a, uh, in a world right now that through like worship of the earth, they're trying to make it so that humanity remains subservient to creation and not the way that God designed it to be. We're seeing this all over the place. And as Christians, we need to um, be weary and opposed to anything that tries to make humans serve creation instead of the other way around. Now you might say, well, Stephen, don't you... Believe the science. Well, I mean, most of the science changes like every six weeks. So no one, I mean, it's very hard to follow, right? But regardless of that, I think you have to speak to a certain level of the hubris of man. I think it, when Job, right, is having this conversation with God, and at some point God just gets angry, and he goes, Job, where were you when I made all of this? 
And now, more than ever, we know that all of this is, yes, our Earth, and it is also uh, our galaxy, but it is galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. And the hubris of man to think the fact that I drive a large SUV is somehow going to throw God off of his plan is laughable and the complete rise of the hubris of man, okay? There's this idea that, that creation right needs uh, or, or that we need to bow to creation instead of what no no no. we were told to go subdue the earth we were told to go and to develop and to grow and to progress this earth now when we do that right a couple of things are naturally going to happen you've got culture groups running out and right so point one they're going to fill the earth and they're going to develop these um these systems and these structures and uh so that human life can flourish and they're going to uh and they're going to subdue the earth and build and make things happen and, and and so what's the next result of that the natural result is this they're going to be hierarchy that is going to be created right? And also then that outcomes are not going to be equal. Now this leads us to a current confused distortion in our world. And that is this, that equity is the goal. Equity. In other words, that everyone has the exact same outcome all the time. Here is the clear truth, that equality of opportunity, which biblically we would say a just and fair society, right, biblical justice, a just and fair society is the goal, and sowing and reaping is the guiding principle. Now, we have to go back again, what we're talking about here. I'm not talking about red pen, blue pen. I'm talking about an opposing worldview. This worldview says, let's uniform humanity, okay, and control it from the top. Now, this worldview is saying uh, that we know we've won if everybody has exactly the same. Like I mentioned earlier, the only societies or the societies that have tried to make that happen, the way they make it happen is through violence and murder, right? And then you have God who says, no, let's celebrate uh, uh, different people groups being formed around the world, uh, let them share their own customs and culture and become different, right? And, and, and then they will sow and reap and subdue the earth. Now, that will naturally lead to uh, an inequality of outcomes, and the scriptures over and over affirm that's the point. And sowing and reaping is the guiding principle. But we've seemed to develop a new principle when it comes to sowing and reaping in our current world, and it's this. Someone else should sow, and I should reap. Right? Isn't that the modern? You sow, I'll reap. Here's the clear truth. You reap what you sow. That's the clear truth. And the other side says, no, 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 no. The whole system's corrupt, and the whole system's unfair, and everything like that. And so those who have sown, right, uh, even if previous generations sowed, um, we're going to punish them because previous generations sowed, even though these people have done nothing wrong, right? That way we can reap. This idea and this attitude is sinful, it is wrong, and it has nothing to do with a biblical worldview. Nothing. Now, in that, not one, I'm going to show you a passage of scripture by Jesus himself, who makes this very clear, though the principle of sowing and reaping is all over the place. It's all over the place in the scriptures, okay? Now, um, this leads, well, actually, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Let's go to the passage of scripture. By the way, one of my favorite verses of all time, Psalm 126.5 says this, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy, right? You sow 
And then you get to reap, and the sowing is hard because sin exists in the world, but the reaping is beautiful and rewarding. And this is what is best for people. And let me pause for a second, because sometimes when you start telling clear truth, right, this is Satan's lie, right? Whenever you start speaking clear truth, people always want to go, oh, that sounds so unloving, right? As if somehow letting people believe lies is better for them. And we always have to go back and remember, it does nobody any good to believe a lie. Because at the heart of that lie, Satan, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. We, we have the perspective and the foundation that actually leads to life, okay? And we can never apologize for that. Matthew 25, okay, let's, uh, let's read through this. This is, this is Jesus telling, you know, he's telling a parable. Now, here's what we know of parables. Parables are stories with earthly, okay? They're earthly stories that have an earthly meaning, and then they also have a spiritual principle underneath. Here, we're going to look at it on the surface from the earthly principle that Christ was teaching. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Ability, okay? And what do we know about ability? It has something to do with, with, with how you're born, with how you're raised, with, uh, but then also with hard work, right? And then how you develop what you have been given naturally, okay? Woke church has already canceled Jesus here. He gave out five, two, and one, not one, one, and one. In the modern world, you get one, one, and one, but your one would be worth way less than one in like a week, okay? Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once. Notice Jesus' usage of the urgency. He went at once. He didn't wait. No one had to tell him to go do something. Why? Because it is in wired in man to go subdue the earth. Go do something. Now that leads me to another confused distortion. And that is this, that ambition, innovation, and industry are rooted in greed. And there are people who profess the name of Christ who actually believe these lies. That to work hard and to make something means it must be rooted in greed. Now, greed is sinful and greed is wrong. And the scriptures talk about the love of money uh, and warn us of the love of money and a desire to be rich. But here is a clear truth that ambition, innovation, and industry are rooted in God-given talent for God's glory and human good. In other words, if you want to be godly, go to work. If you want to be godly, go start a business. If you want to be godly, go make something of your life. If you want to be godly, wake up every day, work hard, kill something, eat it, and then go do it again the next day. Clear truth. Now, at the end of all of this, Okay, so he gives it to the two, right? But he had received the one, uh, I'll skip by the two because the five and the two, they also, they talk similar. Okay, actually, but here's the one difference. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. The, for the number two guy, it doesn't talk about his urgency. Almost as if uh, the five talent guy, got, Jesus was speaking to his motivation and his urgency. In other words, you really want to work hard? Then I'll really get it going for you. You kind of want to work hard? Then I'll kind of get it going for you. Okay, number, uh, then look at the one guy. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. 
Let me translate that. He who had received the one talent just whined and complained about how hard everything was and blamed everybody else. His master said to him, well done. This is not on the other side of it. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here I've made to you two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What is the joy of the master? You're living out the good life. Step into this. You did something. Now I'll give you more. Now, let's hop to the very end. This is the first guy, or the guy who got the one. He said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Complaint number one, complaint number two. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now look at what Jesus responds to him because he knows the motive of the person. He says this. He, he says, uh, oh, he doesn't say, oh, you careful person. I understand. He doesn't say that. He says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Not only is industriousness godly and good, the opposite is wicked, lazy, and sinful. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents more. Jesus is canceled again. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. You know what he doesn't do at the end? Jesus doesn't say, okay, there was five, two, and one, and now there is 10, four, and one, so there's 15. Give everybody five. You understand that? He says, give that guy 10. Why? Because industriousness is good, it is of God. And it's what actually creates a good environment for the world to live in. And the master's looking out and he's saying, I want this place to be good. I want this place to thrive. And that guy over there, the lazy complainer, he's not producing anything good for anybody. Let's not let him drive our policy. That's not going to lead to human flourishing. Oh, by the way, verse 30. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. Clear truth. So, my daughter, Reagan, she's five. And um, second board game after Candyland that I ever taught her was Monopoly. Right? Amen. Right? And uh, so... My friends, you know, in their 30s, and Reagan's five, and she did beat one of them, so that's kind of funny. But, um, you know, okay, so when, when we're playing Monopoly, I'm teaching her things, you know, right, we're having good conversations, and I have a financial catechism that I work through with Reagan every night, and so it goes like this. It goes, Reagan, how do we make money? And she responds with, by working and by owning things. I said, that's right, baby girl, and when we make money, what do we do first? We give to God first. Right? This is what I teach my daughter. And I teach her this every single night because I want her to know when you get older, okay, I'll wait till you're six, okay, you're gonna start working. Right? You're gonna learn how to make money. 
And then dad's going to teach you how to own things. Because we seem to live in this culture right now, and Christianity has gotten so weak uh, and has bought into the lies of the enemy so much that somehow money is this bad thing, right? And that we shouldn't try, and we shouldn't work, and we shouldn't produce wealth, and we shouldn't be on the forefront of innovation and industry and all of those things. We should just sit in a corner and sing something like, this world doesn't matter, and watch it go to hell when we could be using our God-given talents to make something happen, okay? And isn't it interesting that the top list, right? Richest in your state, richest in your this, richest in your that, all of those kind of things, right? They rarely bow bended knee to Christ. Would we not live in a different world if uh, on every Sunday morning, Jeff Bezos uh, and, uh, and Elon Musk and Bill Gates and all of these other people, uh, if they were running around worshiping Jesus, Instead, they're running around worshiping this, many of them, okay? They're running around worshiping that. They're actually on the forefront of trying to create this. So let's change our mindsets. In 50 and 100 years, when it lists all of the, the, the top wealthiest people in the world, I hope they're all followers of Jesus. I hope they are. And I hope instead of running around and spending billions of dollars trying to jam these lies down people's throats. They're instead spending billions of dollars proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Okay? That's a world to shoot for. And so, man, young man in here, your ambition is not a sin. Do not let the world tell you that it is. Your dreams to work hard and to make money, that is from God. And so do it, and then honor him with it first. And then have dominion is the next thing that we are told. Have dominion, okay? Have dominion means to both understand the value of individual property and the concept of sowing and reaping. Now, having dominion, you can't disconnect the word have dominion over, okay? Uh, there's an element of it that is just exercising, like stewarding authority, and then there's another element of it that is ownership, okay, that is implied in here. And a confused distortion in our world on the other side is this, that ownership is bad. And clear truth, scripturally, is ownership is good. Now, some of you might quote Acts 4, and you go, yeah, but how come the early Christians sold everything, Right? It's a great question. I'm going to preach through Acts 4 um, starting the first week of December, okay? Because I want to show how all of this stuff is connected. But we have to remember something about that. One, it was voluntary. Two, we actually never saw that happen again, okay? So I'll, I'll work through that a little bit, okay? Um, and by the way, we live in a culture that doesn't respect or honor property rights. How do we know that? Because we saw protests wreak through our country, havoc, and the government didn't step up to do anything, Right? Why? Because there's no respect of individual property, right? And, uh, and this is, again, uh, God said, no, go have dominion, exercise control and authority over something. Now, when the gospel breaks into us, right? And we have to remember, all of this that we're doing, we're doing it because it is truly best for people, because we have not bought into the lie that the other worldview is somehow better for people. Might sound more flowery, right? Might, might, might sound better in practice, 
okay? Uh, but, but it's not. Now, uh, the, the, when the gospel breaks into us and when we're having dominion, how uh, the gospel in us then changes how we have that dominion. And let me give you three ways that it changes us, okay? And this is, as Christians now, uh, this is really, really important. Psalm 106.3 says this. Such a big book. Psalm 106.3. Blessed are they, that's happy, joyful, good. Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times and in every way. And Christians, our engagement in society and our having dominion over society should make us drive toward justice. And we believe in true biblical justice, okay? And biblical justice, again, is not equity of outcome. It's equality of opportunity and fairness, that's what biblical justice is all about. Now, we should. If there are corrupt systems, yes, as a Christian, that should fire you up. But corrupt based on godly standards, not the, the, the other worldview standards. Truly corrupt, right, systems. And so when, as Christians, we should look and say, well, what's injustice? Injustice is policies that are enacted that affront God's stated way. Injustice, then, is when we enact policies, right, that want to um, diminish development and subduing and filling the earth. Injustice, then, are policies that attempt to overthrow the sowing and reaping principle. That's injustice. And Christians should always be against that. Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. That when we operate our businesses, and whether we're owning them or working in them or just, uh, you know, participating in one, whatever it might be, right, that we always do so with absolute and full integrity. That we always operate in integrity. If we don't operate in integrity in our dominion, right? If we don't fight for justice, if we don't operate with integrity, then what makes us different than anybody else? So here's our opportunity as Christians when we exercise our dominion to do so with an eye on biblical justice and an eye on absolute integrity. And, and um, let me say this, absolute integrity, there will be moments in the practical, right, when you're operating with absolute integrity that it will cost you. It will. And you have to trust in those moments that your integrity and obedience to God, right, he can more than make up what it might cost you in that moment, okay? Always, then, as Christians, to operate in integrity. And then Psalm 82, 3, here's the last one. And these verses, they're all over the scriptures. I could have picked a thousand, okay, uh, to, to summarize these three points. Psalm 82, 3. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And who are the wicked? Those who would sub subvert God's created order. That's who the wicked is. I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of the other worldview thinking that they have a monopoly on care for the poor and justice. That comes from Jesus. We own justice. We own care for the poor 
Why? Because the gospel is broken into us and it makes us operate in such a radically different way than the world. But owning justice and care for the poor doesn't mean that we fall into the lies and the traps and the fake justice and the fake uh, care that the other side presents. How do we know it's proper and true? Because it aligns with sowing and reaping. Because it aligns with the way that God has set up and structured his world. Hey, we have a chance to practice this, by the way, on your way out today. Uh, and there might be a little line in this, but, you know, you can wait a bit. Um, we, have, we have three ways to practice this today. Uh, one is um, adopting a vision kit for Christmas. And so you can walk out, and that'll be on your left uh, table. You can grab something like that, and you can just uh, help make a kid's Christmas better. Uh, I think we had 200 of those. And then on the right, um, uh, there's another table out there, and there are 31 men that are going through a Christian rehab program right now, uh, and none of them have winter coats. And so you can stop by, fill out that, uh, and then and, and buy a winter coat, and we'll need that back by next week. Okay, you have an extra week on the presents. I think two week, weeks actually on the presents, but just one week on the coats. Why? Because it's gold, right? And we want to get them their coats now, right? Uh, and so we have 31 men that we can uh, buy coats for. We have 200 kids that we can buy presents for. We're going to feed 250 kids uh, this Wednesday night for Christmas uh, or for Thanksgiving. Uh, and we give away um, money all the time within our church to do exactly what these verses talk about. Why? Because we believe in biblical justice. We believe strongly in biblically taking care in the poor in a way that is dignified and honored and in a way that actually helps people, not hurts them. That's proper order. Now, Acts 16 is a story that I think helps us understand, and I'm going to wrap up here. Acts 16, 16 through 19. Hasn't this series been fun? Man, I've had so much fun. This has been great. It's just going to get better too, folks. We ain't stopping. Acts 16, 16 through 19. As we were going, this is Paul and Silas. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Let me provide some commentary. Modern translation. Uh, as we were going to do a spiritual thing, we met a disadvantaged person or people group, and their disadvantage was highly profitable to the powers of this world. Sound familiar? She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. In other words, was crying out for help. Paul, having become greatly annoyed. Now, I'm not sure that is exactly the proper motivation for evangelism, okay? Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Came out that very hour. Okay. A couple thoughts here. One, you see the, 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 the great need that exists in our world. And nothing I'm saying this morning is to negate that there is great need in this world and that there, is not, um, uh, that there are not disadvantaged people groups and there are not disadvantaged people, okay? And you know what's interesting? In, at least in this one, she seems to think like the, these guys right here or this church or this God or this thing, they have an answer to the problem. And we do have an answer to the problem. And, um, uh, and we have an answer to the spiritual and the practical. 
But when, look, look at how the powers that be respond to her freedom. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. Why were they upset? Because they could no longer keep her disadvantage to make them money and help them keep their power. That's why. And even six or seven weeks ago, before we even started this series, I began to lay out that the the truth suppressors of this world, the uh, the power brokers of this world, they do not care about humanity. They do not care about actual freedom. They do not actually care about people. They care about presenting solutions that aren't actually solutions to keep them enslaved to preserve their power. In our modern understanding, this woman who is disadvantaged, right, uh, the, the modern response would be, oh, don't worry. Uh, what we'll do is we'll pump uh, more money into a system that has pr- uh, produced absolutely zero fruit as a way of saying, don't, don't, don't worry. Stop looking for answers elsewhere. Uh, we'll, we'll keep uh, trying more things. We'll keep, try- we'll keep trying to work harder and harder against the principle of sowing and reaping. We'll keep working harder and harder against the principles of uh, private ownership. We'll keep working harder and harder and harder. Don't worry. Stop yelling. Stop making a ruckus. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it for you. Why? To maintain their power. And Christians, what is our call? In both ways primarily in the proclamation of the gospel to set people spiritually free. And let me tell you, there are some of you who might be here this morning and um, you're, you started hanging around this church because you like the things that I am saying from a worldly or a practical perspective. Okay? And that's okay. I'm glad you agree. And I'm glad in some essence you're a part of creating a good society. But can I tell you something? At the bottom of it, at the heart of it, it's not Western culture. It's not Plato and Aristotle. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And some of you, you might like everything I'm saying out here, but I have a greater hope for you, and that's that your heart is changed by the gospel. That you meet Jesus, and he changes you, and you repent of sin, and you come to Christ, and then you begin to operate in all of these ways out here because Jesus has changed your heart down here. Okay? And the other thing then is we have to, of course, first and foremost, bring the gospel to the world. But then secondly, as Christians, of course we should desire. Of course we should desire a world then that a society gets formed and functioned, right? That reflects God's way of life because that's what's best for people. We love people. We own loving people. It's our thing. Jesus gave it to us. Let's show them a path to true freedom, just like this girl, this woman experienced. Her slave owners were never going to set her free. The gospel, the church, Christians had to step in between her and them. That's our job. This series has been a lot of fun. We've worked through a lot of things. You can review anything on, the, uh, uh, on our podcast. You can, of course, grab one of these on your way out today. Next week, um, I'm going to do a standalone sermon. The week after that, we're going to go into Christmas at Redemption, uh, which we're calling the Christmas Quest. I'll explain all of that. And I'm going to talk about now, I think we've deconstructed enough of the lies of the world and replaced them with the truth. Now we're going to talk about the action plan and how we move forward as a church. So we're going to hit that in December, and then we're going to go full court press in January. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us clear truth. 
for godly men, for godly women, for godly marriages, for godly families, and for a godly society. Help us to know it. Help us to live out of it, for it is truly good. But even deeper than that, Lord, help us to know the power of your gospel, Christ risen from the grave, uh, to give us the good life, the spiritual transformation that we need more than anything else. And if that's you this morning, believe in Christ. Don't just believe in values. Don't just believe in a good society. Believe in Jesus as the payment for your sin, as the one who grants resurrected life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.